Welcome to episode 19 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. This show was recorded Tuesday, June 19th, 2007. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here are the Spokesmen. Welcome to episode 19 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. And this is actually take two for us this week. We tried this yesterday, and if you stick around to the end of the show, you'll, you'll hear a little bit of that. It's basically all of us saying, what? I can't hear. Um, but for today, we've got a good crew along for the ride, starting with Tim Grawl from the Crooked Cog Network. Hey, Tim, how's it going? Pretty good. Good morning. Excellent. Great. And uh, Jeremy Vaught from the uh, Triathlon Radio and the Beginner Triathlete Podcast and the Second Life Podcast and JeremyVaught.com. Hey, how's it going, Jeremy? It's been a long time. It's going well, thank you. And you have a lot of domain names. <laughs> and yeah. uh, and finally, not even uh, half of them. <laughs> and and finally, our our stalwart, our, the person who seems to be on every show, with whom we couldn't do the sh- without whom we couldn't do the show, Carlton Reed from BikeBiz.com and QuickRelease.tv. Good afternoon, Carlton. Well, good afternoon to you, NG. Thanks. Well, you know, you're an important part of the show. Hey, let's get to the show. And Carlton, let's talk about something that um, that you've been talking about on the Bike Biz website. And that is all these uh, bicycle manufacturers who are releasing celebrity branded bikes. Now, we've we've had the Le Mans bikes for a long time. But tell us about the two new ones that are that are coming out. Well, there's the Tony Hawk bike, or bike range, which will be the Huck Jam is one of the ranges, which are going to be sold through mass market big box retailers in the U.S. Uh, by Dynacraft, and uh, they're using, obviously, the name of a, a pretty big in skateboarding, perhaps sort of in, in, in BMX, but these are a full range of ordinary bikes. And then the other one is um, from Chris Boardman, the, the British Hour record holder and Olympic champion, and and all of that uh, jazz. He's got a really good uh, bike range coming out through Half. Now, uh, what's the U.S. equivalent? A store with loads of stores in the in the U.K. Now, Carlton, I, I would expect that the Boardman bikes are going to be fairly fairly high end, wouldn't you say? Well, they're not just road bikes. You would think with the, his name, you would just bring out a range of of high end road bikes, but they're across the board: commuter bikes, there's kids' bikes, there's all sorts. So they're really using his his name um, for everything. So Jeremy, uh, l- let me ask you your your thoughts on this. I mean, do you think that uh, um, people buy bikes because of the name on the down tube? I think obviously they must. When uh, uh, you know they've got Trek has or had that uh, that Armstrong bike where they took their most expensive bike and then jacked up the price even more, and they sold those like crazy. And I know. When uh, when I was younger in cycling, I would have given anything to have uh, uh, have a Le Mans bike. Uh, so I think that uh, that people do kind of like that 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 idea, and it's uh, and you're right, it's not the the average consumer. I think it's more the person that probably has several high end bikes already, and they don't mind spending the money on another one. Tim, what do you think? I mean, you've got your finger on the pulse of of sort of mainstream cycling with 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 a lot of your blogs that are out there what do you think that, that your readers would think about buying a tony hawk bike for instance well i mean i guess on the tony hawk and to me the tony hawk brand name will be going more of the uh, maybe low end the, the kids bikes that kind of thing 
they look up to him so much. Um, but I don't see somebody that's really into cycling buying a Tony Hawk bike for the name because he's known for skateboarding, not bikes. So, uh, but on the end of a of a of a great uh, name in road cycling or something like that, I could see that upping sales. I mean, it's obvious uh, these these companies don't just buy these names, you know, for fun. They do it because they think it'll sell more bikes. So, I mean, obviously it does. Uh, and, and things, names especially like the Lance Armstrong bike or Le Mans, they're such uh, legendary names. Uh, they're going to stand out in people's minds uh, apart from other brand names that are more ambiguous. I suppose one of the things that we, we talk about here on The Spokesman all the time is how can we get more people involved in cycling. And I don't know, I think that, that w- one of the, the lines of the Tony Hawk bikes, if I understand properly, is going to be a, more of a mass market line. And I could see a kid dragging his parents through you know, a big box retailer coming across a Tony Hawk bike and just really bugging their parents, hey, I've got to have this bike. And, and that may be one, one way that we're going to get more people into cycling. And, and if that's the case, uh, I'm all for it. Um, Carlton, you think that that's one of the strategies here? Yeah, yeah, I, I agree on the, the Tony Hawk one uh, because Tony Hawk crosses over. You know, all of action sports. I mean, he's not known for for cycling, but he has BMX riders in his Hup Jam tour. He's just a name. So that's an interesting uh, marketing ploy. It's more of a a name probably only to cyclists. I don't think he's, even in the UK, he's not known everywhere by the the, the man and the woman in the street. So they're going to have to market him. But he's also, he's like the Bob Roll equivalent across here. So when we have the... The Tour de France, um, Phil Liggett um, giving some commentary. When it cuts to the UK, you have Chris Boardman, who is uh, yabbing on in the studio. And he's also, or Halfords, who are bringing out these bikes, are the ITV, the, the, the station that's broadcasting the tour in this country, uh, are sponsoring that. So there's this, these weird links between Boardman and his day job on the Tour de France uh, commentary, and Halfords. So there's, there's a, a good move there somewhere, maybe. And, you know, he also, they sell they sell uh, video games with Tony Hawk's name. And obviously are, those are uh, his specific to his sport, but they're not really specific to his uh, what he does exactly. Yeah, I mean, They are super successful. They, they are some right. of the biggest games out there. You know, you have yeah, to, they basically started the uh, extreme sports uh, video game mm-hmm. series. Yeah. yeah. After the, when all if the you read TonyHawk.com, you, you, you... Snowboarding and... Go ahead, Carlton. Sorry, if you, if you read TonyHawk.com, you, you can actually see where... The, it was a huge surprise when they, when they brought these Tony Hawk games out that it went so successful so quickly. Um, uh, it just went released from... Since then. Say that mm. again, Tim. Mm. They've released one every year since uh, since the beginning, and uh, and each one is like a best-selling game every year. I was mm. going to say you've got to admire to- a guy like Tony Hawk, who is obviously talented at what he does, and then he he parlays that into an empire. Uh, and I just mm-hmm. you have to admire that. In 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 some ways, you think, oh well, maybe he's a bit overexposed. But you know what? Good for him. He's making money, and he, and and he he appears to be at least a good role model. So why not? 
Um, exactly. So, so let me ask you, Carlton, because uh, something that, that you've blogged about on quickrelease.tv, uh, now we have Tony Hawk, who's a, a skateboarder, crossing over into cycling. Uh, anything else going on as far as skateboarding and cycling in the world? Oh, wow, whatever could you mean? Well, <laughs> uh, Tony Hawk is actually the, the, the vice president of the... I, I, I don't really want to call it the the World Federation for Skateboarding, because there are many competing organizations saying they are. But he's involved with uh, Jim Ream, who is Camp Woodward, you know, to to jikes and stuff, and it's gymnastics and all sorts. They are involved in uh, the attempt to get the Olympics to take on board uh, skateboarding. And the IOC are going to get skateboarding in, uh, whether skateboarders want it or not. And Tony Hawk is... uh, so if he's behind it as just a name, then they'll get it in. And the link is that it's the UCI, the Union Cycliste Internationale, who's going to be doing it uh, on behalf of skateboarding. So the UCI are now going to be representing all wheeled sport. Okay, so... Which is frightening. If I was a skateboarder and I had the UCI representing me, I'd be frightened. Um, yeah, so so here's, here's my question. <laughs> To me, the Olympics is about uh, all these classic sports, and now we're bringing in uh, extreme sports. Tim, you use that term. Um, what do you think about that? Bringing in, say, skateboarding, for instance, or, or even—and you know, I'm writing for the Flames now—or even BMX into the Olympics. Uh, is, that, is that the right place for for these competitions, or is the X Games the right place? Well, I think uh, I think they're just trying to think ahead as far as. Honestly, the Olympics in general are pretty boring uh, to my age group. I think unless you're unless you're into uh, like I'll watch one or two of the sports, but in general, I'm not interested in watching you know the gymnastics or the there's like walking is one you know speed walking and all these other sports. So, right, I mean the inter or not inter bike. Uh, um, the Olympics could just be looking at the long-term marketability of their sports and bringing in something like this could actually get the younger eyes where I think the the population that, that watches the Olympics is aging. So so this is really a way for the Olympics simply to, to maintain market share, is what you're saying? Yeah. I mean, in, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just uh, speaking from a weird angle and I could be wrong, but... <laughs> To me, uh, my age group is more interested in watching the X Games than they are the Olympics. So, why not in those games and, and get both sets of eyes? Go ahead, Carlton. Yes, ESPN. Uh, their their ratings for BMX in the last Olympics were extremely good. So, IOC does it really? Is it really interested in the the purity of sports, or is it interested in lots? lots uh, that attracts itself to the Olympics. I think it's the latter. And BMX and skateboarding can, can bring lots of money, whereas synchronized swimming can bring nothing. So if you're a synchronized swimmer out there, then, then watch out. Well, look, I don't think that the IOC is really interested in the purity of sport, as you said, because if they were, mm. they wouldn't be allowing NBA players to play in Olympic basketball, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, that's been bugging me for, for a long time. And, hey, you know, I have this public forum to actually talk about it. But, I, no, I don't think that they're interested in the purity of sport. It's, it's, it's a, as much about money for them as it is uh, for ESPN when they put on the X Games. Uh, exactly. Cycling is crap in the Olympics. 
the right, road event in the Olympics. Do you tune into? I don't watch that. It's rubbish. Yeah, but you know, we get well. Okay, I'm not going to talk about Tyler Hamilton. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well, Jeremy, what's your take on this? Well, as as far as the the Olympics goes, um, it's no secret that their numbers are are going down every single Olympics, and there's more things to take people's time. People don't just sit around and watch TV like they like they used to, and I think that in order to to keep things exciting, they need to to, uh, to keep those those sports in there that people are more interested in because a lot of these sports you only ever watch during the Olympics. You know, Tim uh, Tim Grawl, I, I suppose it's it's a lot like the evolution of uh, say downhill mountain biking. I mean, I remember 15 years ago when downhill mountain biking was simply about starting at the top of a ski resort and then just bombing down their fire road. And it was about speed, and that was pretty much about it. But if you look at downhilling today, it's very different, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's exploded. and it just, It's just like um, any, any other aspect of, of a sport that gets popular, it starts. So, I think too. so you even have all different kinds of downhilling in different places. And, and I just I think it's, uh, it's popularity because of the extreme nature and because of the, um, the age group that's interested in it. I mean, no, nobody's, you know, the, the same people that watch, you know, cross-country skiing, whatever, is not going to watch uh, downhill mountain biking or even downhill skiing, maybe. And so I think it's, I think it's smart for the Olympics to do st- something like this because uh, the, the sports, as, uh, as Jeremy mentioned, that, that maybe people in the past just aren't getting the numbers they are today. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, what, you know that. Okay, Carlton first. Sorry, go ahead, Jeremy. No, no, oh. <laughs> what we've got to watch out for is that the Olympics is a set number of sports. So to get a new sport in, another sport's got to come out. Now, the UCI have already ditched the kilo. They got rid of an event that's been in since 1896 to bring in BMX. BMX is a fantastic spectator sport. It's going to be a wonderful uh, cycling discipline at the Olympics, but it came at the expense of something else. So we've got to be vigilant to make sure it doesn't force, for instance, the UCI to actually get rid of any cycling disciplines in order to bring in wheel sports, which they're being forced to do by the IOC. I think it's against the UCI's best interest, to tell the truth. Uh, and that they probably don't want to do it at all because they want to focus on cycling. Hmm. But they don't see. And uh, they're having to bring in, in skateboarding because skateboarding doesn't have uh, a unified uh, federation. So as long as the UCI doesn't get rid of any cycling disciplines, okay, bring in skateboarding. But let's, let's just watch out. Okay, so, so sorry, I'm, I'm going to be like the old man of the group and, and forgive my ignorance. But how, do you, how does skateboarding competition work? Uh, is this simply, uh, is it sort of like figure skating where you're, you're judged on the tricks you do? It's, it's vert skateboarding, so it's, it's vertical ramps. So, for instance, the, the closest analogy is probably snowboarding. There was a huge brouhaha when snowboarding was brought in under the ski federations, where snowboarding is obviously a, a, an aesthetic sport, mm-hmm. where it's also the style as well as the, the height. But what it came out to was amplitude. So it was literally just the height, and they were just measuring that. And uh, it's settled down 
yes, they're, they're, they're also going a bit uh, marks for style. But that probably is the way it would go. You'd, you'd be doing um, as high as you can get on a skateboard would be the discipline. So it's how they actually make sure they keep some of the, the, the freestyle elements as well, which will be interesting. Hmm. Jeremy, I think you had something to add. Yeah, it, uh, it, it, it has to do, as far as the, the, the scoring goes, it has to do with like, when you're, you're, the complexity of the tricks and the order that you do them and how hard you make your, your tricks versus if you go out and do an easy routine. Um, the other thing that I was that I was thinking about was I was just thinking about um, you know generationally I'm I'm 31 and so I grew up my parents were into watching the Olympics but you know kids that are 10 years even just 10 years younger than me they they have a whole new focus when they because the internet came out when I was a um, you know became big when I was you know about a, in the middle of my high school so we're talking about trying to, you know, the, the generation that watches TV is the generation that has kind of grown up with the Internet now. And it's a, it's a whole different mindset as far as just what's on TV and watching it just because it's there. So you've really got to go out and grab their attention and do new things. I'm sure things with the Olympics these days are going to be much more um, Internet-based. Maybe they'll have, you know, people, you know, voting from home and that Stuff to to keep the interest up. It's it's not going to be the same Olympics we've known for a long, long time. You say we're going to have the American Idol Olympics? Yeah, I <laughs> you know I said it right here. I uh, <laughs> I hadn't really given that kind of stuff much thought, but I can totally see it happening. Uh, you know, I'm not watching the Olympics if Ryan Seacrest is on. <laughs> it's just the way it's going to be. <laughs> hey, um, hey, let's move on because uh, I think we've beaten this one to a pulp, and 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 you know, time will tell about how this is going to do. One, I found a couple of actually, uh, you guys found a couple of of great top ten lists. Uh, Carlton sent these in, and and uh, it's interesting to look at them and just sort of juxtapose them next to each other. The first one's from the U.S. Census Bureau, and it's the uh, the, the large city, cities with the highest percentage of bicycle commuters. Um, so, for instance, at uh, at number nine is Denver, Colorado, tied with. Honolulu, Hawaii, uh, and by the way, I've, I've ridden in Honolulu, and I can't imagine wanting to do that every single day. The traffic system is <laughs> awful. Um, number eight is Oakland, California. Number seven, Washington, D.C. Number six, Sacramento, California. Fifth is San Francisco. Fourth, Tucson, Arizona. Um, number three, Seattle, Washington. Uh, number two, Minneapolis. And of course, in number one, I don't think anybody would be surprised, is Portland, Oregon. And then... Moving on to the other one that actually came from Donna Tosi uh, from Kryptonite, who is an occasional contributor here to The Spokesman. And she gives us on the Kryptonite blog at unbreakable-bonds.com, she gives us the top 10 cities for bike theft. So here's what's interesting. You're going to see some of the same cities showing up here. Number nine (laughs) in the tie, San Diego, Washington, D.C., and uh, it's Portland, Oregon. Uh, Number eight. Seattle. A tie at number six, Los Angeles and San Francisco. Number five, San Jose. Number four, Philadelphia. Number three, Boston. Number two, Chicago. And number one, again, no surprise, just like Portland being the number one bicycle commuter city, the number one city for bike theft is, of course, 
New York City. City, exactly. So, um, any trends here? Anything uh, that you guys find interesting? Uh, any, anybody conspicuously missing? Tim Graw, what do you think? Well, uh, one thing that I was reading on those stats is that uh, most of those stats are based only on, on work instead of every trip. So it doesn't really take into account uh, going to the grocery store or, you know, going down to the bar on the corner or something like that. And so, you know, I wonder what would change in those numbers as far as, like, I would think something like Portland's numbers would be even higher because that riding their bikes to work are probably riding their bikes everywhere else as well. Hmm. And so, uh, it, I don't know, it doesn't really take into that account. And it also has problems with multimodal, as in, like, um, if somebody takes a bus or train and their bike to work, it doesn't necessarily count as them riding their bike. So, again, I, I think some of those numbers would be a little higher. Uh, but in all, I mean, they're still really low. And it's funny that the in the top ten, you're already dropping down close to just 1% of people of trips taken on the bike. So yeah, yeah, and that's something I suppose I should have mentioned. I mean, even Portland, which is the number one city, um, with the highest percentage of bicycle commuters, that percentage is three and a half percent. So only three and a half percent of the people going to work are taking their bike. And I don't know. I mean, it's nice that there's that many people, but don't you think there should be more? Well, yeah. And then also, if you take into account most, what got this stat I saw, but it's a huge percentage of people that they are within five miles of their work. Uh, let's see. Hmm. Okay, and, the, and I'm, I'm reading some different stats here along the same way. Um, it says uh, 9 out of 10 workers, um, car to work, that's it's 87.7%, and then 77% uh, drive alone. And so, I mean, I think that's a, even a staggering number. I mean, we're talking about bikes and, you know, 3.5%, but the fact that, you know, less than 15% are on are, are cars. I think that's the worst number. I mean, if you're taking a bus or a train, you're still uh, not being as hard on the environment and roads and that kind of thing. But the sad thing is is that most people are within five miles of their house and they still drive their car. Uh, and a lot of times, especially in these major cities, their car is a long, longer than, than taking their bike. And uh, I just, I don't know, it just frustrates me the laziness that goes into, uh, goes into the typical, typical American so right, if you that's, if you, that's if, my soapbox. I'm it, sorry. You know what? If you want to talk about <laughs> laziness, um, it, one of the other top ten lists that came out at the same time was the cities, the large cities, with the highest percentage of employees who walk to work. And interestingly, uh, number ten there was at five point four percent. That was Baltimore. Number one, twelve and a half percent in Boston. Uh, but here's the large cities with the lowest percentage of workers who walk to work. Uh, Arlington, Texas at 0.9%, Fort Worth, Texas, 1.1%, and Oklahoma City at 1.4%. So um, hmm. I, I guess, at least as far as these lists are, are concerned, those are the laziest American cities. Uh, and and please, 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 no emails. Go ahead, Carlton. <laughs> aren't the, the major cities of Texas, aren't they all the ones that have got the biggest obesity problems in the U.S.? Um, the, that 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 John Burke um, presentation. I think he was mapping out the states with the biggest problems, and Texas was this huge, huge red state, which which has a massive uh, obesity problem. And you can 
and track it be how many people are active in, uh, in, in, in their modes of transport. So I, I guess this all dovetails into that whole thing that John Burke was talking about at the, the Bike mm. Summit and at the Taiwan Show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. More people out there on bikes. I mean, you're not going to convert everybody, but if a few more people actually cycled, back to un- unbreakable bonds on Donna, there was this fantastic story of a severely obese man who uh, got on his bike and just has slimmed down massively. It was a really, truly inspiring story of, uh, of one person's effort to, to, to cure his, his uh, obesity problem and be done given the will. Yeah, yeah, of course, absolutely. So, uh, Jeremy, if I'm not mistaken, you you lived in or live in 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 Arizona, right? Mm-hmm. And so uh, here we're looking at Tucson, Arizona, with two point two percent. I mean, is it noticeable that uh, that there's that there's people riding their bikes to work, even at two point two percent? Um. Well, I was in Phoenix. I haven't spent a lot of time in Tucson, right? Uh, but uh, I definitely, and I, I commuted for a year and a half between 11 and, and 20 months um, when I lived in two different places. And, and there was definitely people out there, but not a lot. And, and Phoenix really is, is not a very, a very good city for it because a lot of the times you're, you're riding with the traffic in uh, skinnier than you'd rather have type of roads. Uh, I know, because I, I worked at UPS for, for eight years, and UPS employs, you can imagine, quite a few people, and, we, and there was two of us that, that rode our bikes to work. So, so it, and, and plus, in the summer, you've really got, got to make sure you're prepared, because I know I rode it, you know, in 115 degrees on my way home in multiple occasions, and uh, you've, ju- you've just got to, you've got to know what you're doing. Or, or you're gonna hurt yourself more. But, but for the most part, there were people out there, but not too many people. Wow, wow, yeah, 115 degrees does, does not sound fun to me. David, I've just got some statistics no. in here. Yeah, go ahead, Carlton. It's 15.3 uh, percent of uh, people who commute on their bike in America are doing so on Mazzy bicycles. <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> Okay, Tim. Just because you're not here, uh, uh, we got the we got in the plug. <laughs> oh, very good, Carlton. Nice. Hey, you know one of the, one of the states that's not represented here is the state of New Jersey. I mean, I just don't see New Jersey uh, on the on the list of <clears throat> excuse me cities with with a high percentage of bicycle commuters, and um, you know you don't see it on the list of 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 bike theft. But and maybe one of the reasons is because. New Jersey now has uh, uh, looks to be heading toward passing a bill banning quick release wheels on on new bicycle sales, and uh, this is this is sort of worrisome uh, because you can imagine, uh, as, at least as far as I understand it, it's the feds, it's the, the government, the federal government here in the United States that that is supposed to regulate uh, wheeled vehicles. Uh, bikes are, are included there. And now we have a state coming out to ban quick releases. Uh, this looks to be fairly dangerous. Um, Carlton, I know that you, you, this is something that you've talked about, uh, and even, even over there in the UK. Uh, does it look like this is something that's going to move forward? Well, on the, the bicycle retailer story, they, they interviewed uh, Trex Council, Bob Burr, 
happens and it wheel out when you want to talk about quick releases because he's the guy who was involved with the previous slew of quick release uh, cases where the the mass market uh, shoppers they buy these these bikes they don't know how to use quick releases they claim that they were never shown how to use them they use them as a wingnut and then they face plant, do themselves injuries, sue the companies, and that's why we have lawyers' lips on uh, on our forks. And uh, Trek is, is clearly fighting against this New Jersey legislation. It is so badly worded um, by the, the brought this forward that surely it will be knocked back purely on 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 its wording it's it's so ambiguous it it, it surely can't pass through um legislation uh, where people are going to be looking at this and thinking well that that doesn't mean this and it's it's got to be in, in good language it's clear poor language so that the the, the betting's got to be that that it'll be thrown out bob burns trek's legal counsel told uh, bicycle retailer, quote, it's being promoted as a bill intended to protect children, but the language would make every bicycle with quick release currently for sale in New Jersey illegal. This bill is not intended just for children's bikes. He went on to say, no system always retains the wheel. Even the bolted axle, if the bolts aren't on right, the kid's in trouble. As of right now, there's nothing on the floor that meets the definition and nothing on the horizon that is commercially proven. So in other words, if this bill moves forward, at least until there's a legal challenge to it, uh, bike shops are out of business. Well, there is a commercial product. We have the, the Montague Clicks system, which probably would solve this. It's almost, if a company could write its own law, there it is. You know, because uh, they, they do have a secondary <laughs> retention. They do, do have, it, it makes it almost not, no longer quick release, of course. Um, but if you've seen it in action, it, it, it does work. And uh, that would solve that particular issue. So wh- where is Montague based? It couldn't be New Jersey, could it? <laughs> Good question. Yeah, but, but still, uh, <laughs> uh, none of the bikes that are currently sitting on dealers' shop floors, uh, well, not none, but, but very, very few of them, are equipped with that system. And so, uh, like I said, this is going to put them out of business, at least for a time. Or it could. Well, kid, kid, kids' bikes don't come with quick releases, generally. So they're talking about under 20 inches. Well, they, they tend to come with track nuts, mm-hmm. not with quick releases. If it was to protect children, why would they go after a product which isn't on children's bikes? So there's so many angles here which, which would hopefully... Uh, the legislators will will just be told about, it and they'll go, "Oh, really? Oh, right. Well, we'll just we'll just shelve this legislation." I hope. Well, let me ask you guys a question, um, because again, we're all we're all cyclists, and our friends all know that we're cyclists. So they talk to us about bikes, and they talk to us about their kids' bikes and their own bikes, and we also go out in group rides and things like that. Tim, have you ever run into somebody who said, "I just I can't figure this thing out. I don't know how to use it," or who said to you? Uh, my wheel has, has come off because I was a bonehead and didn't use it properly. Tim? I totally did not hear what you just said. <laughs> well, <laughs> see, now now I have to edit the show. Um, <laughs> sorry. I was trying to keep up, and I... Oh, good, my phone rang at the same time. Uh, um, so, I was trying to keep up, and like... He, he just... Uh, all right, I'm supposed to answer a question of some sort. <laughs> Tim, the question we, we was... Need more, we need more women on the show to multitask. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, Tim, the question was, um, I mean, you, you've got friends who, who always come to you and they'll, they'll talk to you about their, their bikes and, and you, you ride with a lot of people and people are always writing into your blog. 
Have you ever run into anybody who's really had a hard time figuring out how to use a quick release? Yeah, I've been on I've been on rides before where I've noticed people's quick release is just loose. Um, one time, actually, a buddy of mine, I heard something rattling behind me as we were going down the hill, and we stopped at the bottom, and his thing was just completely loose. Uh, and and so it was rattling around. And so uh, another time, well, and not necessarily another time, but another problem I have seen with quick releases is, is that people jam them down too hard and uh, you know the problem with that could be that they actually damage their hub because they're putting too much pressure on it so i think there is a problem with the people don't know how to use them Uh, but i don't think uh, you know this is a whole thing of i don't think uh not having common sense uh is a reason for legislation to to be enacted especially that uh, would be such a burden on the bike industry. I mean, we're we're supposed to be trying to get more people on bikes, not trying to make it harder for them. Yeah, go ahead, Jeremy. You know, when I was a kid, um, and I, I was living in rural Nevada at the time, so we had to order a bike, and it was the BMX-style bike. I had to order it from Sears, and we got it in, and I think my mom helped me put it together. And uh, so well, it's obviously a quick release. I took it out for the first time, and I pulled up on my front wheel, and my wheel fell off because I never bolted the silly thing on. Hmm. So uh, I suppose there's no fail-safe in anything. Hmm. Lots of American retailers, I've heard, uh, actually make their customers sign something to release because of that problem. Yeah, and that's that's exactly right. There's there, Well, we're, as you know, we're lawyer-happy here. And, mm. and uh, yes, a lot of retailers will have you sign a waiver. Uh, that says that you know how to use it, that you were trained in using it. Uh, but of course, I mean, if, if something happened where, like Jeremy said, you lifted up your wheel and your, your, you lift up your front fork and your wheel went rolling out, um, chances are that retailer would still get sued, and chances are they still might have culpability. Uh, so it, it's interesting. You, you guys have really given me different answers than I expected. I almost expected you to say no. I've never had anybody tell me that they had a problem. So, so the, have you not? Yeah. No, well, I, I personally haven't had a have problem. I've got a video, you know. Can I, can I plug? Yeah, plug away. <laughs> hey, you, you plugged Mozzie Bikes. <laughs> Oop, I said it again. Go ahead. Mozzie Bikes uh, has quick I, releases. They all have quick releases. <laughs> I have a, oh, yeah, a video yeah. on, uh, on quick release T is how to do up a quick release. It's a minute and a half, and it's aimed at those kind of people. Just this is how you do it. This is how you don't do it. And uh, it isn't the most successful of my maintenance podcasts at all. It's, it's how to wash your bike has had 17,000 views. How to do up your quick to be the biggest one out there has only had something like a couple of thousand. So it's an issue that people don't know how to use these things and probably don't even know they need to know how to use these things. They just think, what's that strange thing? Oh, I'll just wind it up and wind it up and wind it up. And then they leave it sticking out. And it's not actually clamped at all. I think that's one of the... Just oh, you clamp it? Aren't explained. <laughs> How old are you? Thirty-one, and you've lasted a long time. <laughs> yeah, but you haven't seen his face. It's all mangled. It's, it, and... it, oh. it's a mass. It's a mass market retailer problem. That if if they're selling these bikes like Walmart, and they're not showing customers who probably aren't, they're not shipping with with a really good uh, booklet saying this is what you must do. It's those are the guys who are getting sued. Bike shops, specialty bike shops, do tell people how to use them. Please tell me they do. Yep. 
Well, I think that specialty bike shops do, and I think that, that the big mm. box retailers, the Walmarts and the Costcos and things like that, um, in general, oh God, I'm going to get in trouble here, but they, 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 can do, <laughs> they can do a really, really awful job. I mean, I've walked through my local Costco, seen bikes that they built up there where they had the stems mm. backwards. Yeah, mm. forks and mm. stems backwards and upside down, and yeah, that, those are always yeah, and that's and, and that's and the, the mountain that, bikes that have the little sticker that says, "What you see the mountain bikes, and if you look at a lot of the stickers in Walmart or whatever, uh, it'll be not for it'll say not for off road use, but it says you know mountain bike in big big letters across it." Yeah, those are like the, the dual suspension bikes that you know you, you wouldn't even con- you wouldn't even for consider. 60. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's crazy. So no, I don't think that the big box retailers do a good job at all. If I mean I don't think they do anything to train their customers. There, it's just about moving merchandise. Uh, but I do think for for the most part, your local bike shops um, are the ones that do a, a pretty good job of training their customers, and uh, among other things, and and supporting their customers. It's just another reason, in my opinion, to support your local bike shop as opposed to uh, your mass market retailer when it comes to to bike equipment. But that's me um speaking of support tim grawl i've got to ask you a question Uh, i've been looking at at your blog uh over at uh, crookedcog.com and you are doing an event which i mean it sounds interesting to me and and uh, i'd like you to tell everybody about it it's the big wheeled ballyhoo what the heck is that yeah uh back at interbike me and guitar ted one of my other editors for the site we're talking about you know having a get together that involved just uh, just two niners, and so we were talking about it. And then he was talking to the guys over at Salsa, and I started talking to the guys at Fisher, and we had this idea to put together a get together, put together a get together, yeah, uh, about <laughs> just based around two niners. And so we started asking other exhibit um, other companies if they wanted to come exhibit and bring demo bikes, and sure enough, they were in on it. So we have, I think we're, I think we're at eight or nine uh, different companies that are going to have demo bikes available in Decor, Iowa, this weekend uh, for the tryout, and it's kind of just a two-day festival on Saturday and Sunday, June 23rd and 24th, and there's going to be all kinds of group rides and uh, food and live music and basically just a two-wheel or two-day uh, mountain bike festival that's kind of based around based around people that love to hunters and want to try them out so it's pretty exciting as far as i know it's the first uh first event that's based on big wheel mountain bikes and also it's one of the few places that you can actually demo bikes from this many different companies uh that's open to the public because you know we have the big at uh, at interbike but it's closed off to the general public and then most uh, most events have just one or two companies that have demos available. So if you want to try out bikes from lots of different companies in one place, then you should come on out for that as well. So what's the cost? I mean, is this something you're charging admission for? No, it's no, it's completely free uh, for the attendees. So uh, that we have a great campground set up that's less than 100 yards from the trailhead. Uh, that the demo area is going to be right there as well, and then there's also you know hotels and stuff that are available in town, and uh, it's just free to come camp and mountain bikes, so it should be a good time. Wow, that is awesome. So I've, I've got to ask, why Iowa? Well, 
that's that's the question that everybody asked. There's a couple questions: is why the why we made it so far away from a major city, and then the other question is, you know, isn't it just flat in Iowa? So uh, the first answer uh, of why it's uh, why it's in the middle of Iowa is that, like I said, it started out with just Salsa and Gary Fisher being a part of this, and so we thought, you know. If we have a hundred people show up, then it'll be a great time. And Guitar Ted has a has a great relationship with the folks in Decor because he he does a race out of town every year. And so we're like, well, we'll just do it in this little town uh, that has some some great trails, and uh, we'll just have a good time with a couple companies. And then it kind of grew from there. And so uh, we have a whole lot of companies coming now. But uh, that's kind of why it started there is because Guitar Ted has such a great relationship. But also. Um, a lot of great mountain bike trails uh, that they have trails everywhere that will accommodate novice to expert and so uh, it's some pretty challenging trails that uh, the folks in Decor have worked on for a lot of years uh, to build up so I, I'm, I'm excited because people will find out that there actually is good mountain biking and, uh, and it's uh, being hosted in a small town where the entire town is getting behind it all the mountain bike clubs and bike shops in the town are helping out, volunteering, um, throwing their weight behind it. So I'm really excited because we uh, we got a lot of support from the town as well. So that's kind of why did it in the middle middle of Iowa. Well, well, Tim, I, I have to say, you know, one of the things that we talked about, I think months and months ago, was was how how the new media is helping cycling. And so you know, this is just another way because you've got. Uh, your blog network, and now you're putting on a you know a physical festival out there, and I think that that's great. So so good luck with that, and uh, when we when we get back together in a couple of weeks, I hope you'll have a, a really good report for us. Uh, congratulations, and and I hope it goes well. Well, thank you. Yeah, me too. All right, it's 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 that time of the show, the time of the show that everybody dreads, and uh, uh, I'm I'm going to start at the the <laughs> at the bottom of my list, and you're going to love who it is. Um, Carlton, do you have a tip? Or a rant for us today about cycling. I've got a book. Go for it's, it. Uh, it's Bicycling Magazine's 1,000 All-Time Top Tips for Cyclists. <laughs> so I can just, in future, just flick. You just go to. Uh, <laughs> I'll get you a tip out of the book. <laughs> go on, say a page. I'll get you a tip. Say a page. 54. 54. Hang on. Okay, we are in the... If you train by heart rate, take the weather into account. Oh. Okay. That, that's it? That's I good, hope that helps somebody. Tip. No, there's, lot, there's, <laughs> there's, there's lots more, but it's, it's, it's kind of boring. <laughs> so that's your tip. The tip is the book. That's, okay, he has a thousand all-time best tips. Is that the name of the book, Carlton? It is, but there's so many... Yeah, they're not sound bites. They're like huge paragraphs. So there you go. Yeah, I've got the same book here, so pick another page. Seventy-five. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Seventy-five. <laughs> here goes this segment of the show. This is this is, uh, 50, this is under fifty tips for better mountain biking. So that that worked. That was a great page. Um, here we go. Shift your weight to maintain traction. If the rear tire starts to slip on a climb, remain seated and slide back on the saddle. Conversely, if the slope is so steep that the front wheel lifts off the ground, lean forward, slide towards the nose of the saddle. There you go. Well, so there you go. That's your tip for the day, right? 
Yes. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, do you have the book? I do not have the book. I'm feeling rather uh, rather naked about that. I don't know if you have a tip or a rant this week. Um, you know, I, I had totally we, spaced we, that. Yeah, I, yeah, that we, I, we, we sprung this on Jeremy. He had no idea that this was coming. Well, I mean, can I add an eye? Because you guys do this other shows, and I listen to other shows. But uh, I'll just tell you to uh, make sure you clamp your quick release. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, well, along those lines, because you know, everybody else cheated today, here's my tip. When you go into your local <laughs> big box retailer and you see that they've built the bikes wrong, do, do the next customer a favor, the person who's actually going <laughs> to yeah. go buy one of those bikes, and find the store manager. I've done this. Find the store manager and let him or her know that they've built the bikes improperly and that somebody's going to get hurt. Uh, I did that. I got a, um, I got sort of a mean look from the manager for saying it, but I just sort of felt like because I saw it, I couldn't just let it go because some little kid was going to go in uh, with his parents. He was going to buy that bike, and uh, he was going to get hurt, and, and I didn't want that to happen. So uh, I suppose that that's, that's both my rant and my tip for the day. Does that qualify, guys? Mm-hmm. Okay, phew. All right. Um, and from now on, uh, tips from the bicycling book will not be accepted. <laughs> oh, and, and by the way, before we go, I, I got a message from, from Tim while we, while we, were, uh, we were recording the show. And, and as a lot of you, I'm sure, have noticed, uh, our Skype connection today was, was not quite as good as we would hope. So uh, Tim Graw suggests that we run a contest of guess what we said during all of the cutouts. <laughs> so, Tim, if you can come up with a, uh, a prize for that, uh, that would be fantastic. Listen, we've got to go. Um, i got to get to work. Uh, Carlton's got to go pick his kids up from school, and uh, we've all gone late. But I, I want to say thank you to uh, Tim Grawl from uh, Crooked Cog. Uh, you can find uh, – Tim, where can people find you? Uh, com. Uh, this coming weekend, you can find me in Decorah, Iowa. So come say hi, and uh, you can email me at tim at crookedcog.com. Excellent. And Jeremy Vaught, thank you for joining us again today. How can people find you? You can listen to my triathlon radio podcast, triathlonradio.com. Um, mention Second Life, secondlifepodcast.com. Read my blog, jeremyvaught.com. I'm currently in Ketchikan, Alaska, so if you happen to be there, uh, look me up, and uh, we'll hook up. Excellent. And finally, Carlton Reed, before you go get your kids, how can people find you? Uh, St. Catherine's School in Sanders. <laughs> <laughs> but what if they want to email you? <laughs> oh, right, that's different. Uh, it's uh, Carlton Reed, all one word, at Mac.com, and I'm at quickrelease.tv because I'm a kind of virtual person, not always in the real world. Or bikebiz.com is the, the, the trade news site. Real good. Now, to talk about virtual people, I mean, Second Life Podcast is about as virtual as it gets. Uh, I am uh, uh, David Bernstein from the Fredcast Cycling Podcast at www.thefredcast.com. You can email me at thefredcast at gmail.com. Oh, and by the way, if you're interested in cycling the French Alps, uh, please go to fredcasttours.com. That's going to do it for number 19 of the Spokesman Cycling Roundtable Podcast. Thank you to all the, the participants, and thank you, of course, to the listeners for listening and for staying subscribed. Until our next show, get out there and ride. Can you hear me? 
What? Okay. <laughs> well, no, Skype just gave me one of those messages about Skype cannot hear you talking BS, so I just clicked it real quick, and it seems like I'm working. <laughs> All right, here we go. To, to really nail these bikes, and the people who've seen the bikes say they are... You see, that's the problem with Skype, folks. It, it, it's, it's a great technology but when somebody says he says they are and then drops out you have no idea what he's saying oh, you're gonna have to say that <laughs> yeah. again yeah it, it, I'm, I'm having a lot of trouble with audio yeah i really? missed half of what he, he said <laughs> this is really bad i'm missing half of what's being said right now yeah mm. oh with, were people talking <laughs> <laughs> i thought it was a lull in the conversation <laughs> i i said the best stuff i ever said exactly ever, that's how it always ever. goes well we have a decision that's like those blog posts that i lose <laughs> they're the best ones ever crap this is a really hard way to have a conversation yeah it is unfortunately crap i mean i'm about we to try it tomorrow yeah that's i'm i'm totally i'm totally yeah, thinking that my wife will kill me <laughs> I can't hear anything. All right. Um, I guess we're canceling for today. <laughs>